Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. First Choice Bank uses state-of-the-art banking technology through their platform with a concierge specialty deposits group that handles property management relationships. Use your bank account balances to earn credits, which can be used to offset accounting and other third-party accounting-related charges. Work with First Choice Bank, your financial partner that can provide complete relationship banking. To learn more, visit pmbanking.com. Hey everybody, this is Brad Larson. I want to talk to you about a new podcast out there that I would highly recommend called 300 to 3000, How to Grow Your Property Management Company to Scale. One of the hosts is Matthew Whitaker. He's a good friend of mine. I visited their operation and I really truly respect what GK Houses has done and they are still doing. They are an experts at growing at a fast scale into a large scale business. So expect to hear the real world truth about all the mistakes the company has made growing into it and all the good things they're doing. Again, go to 300to3000.com, that's our website, and catch them on iTunes, Spotify, and or Stitcher. Look forward to hearing from good things from those guys. Take care. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Property Management Mastermind Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Larson, and today's guests, I have two gentlemen on here. We're gonna have a discussion about going big or staying small and the merits of both. And so there's, give me some background. There was a article that Scott Brady wrote with uh, using some bullet points from Todd Orchard. And these are my two guests, Scott Brady, Todd Orchard. So there's an article written. And so they had the idea of debating this to kind of flush out some of the key issues. And in addition, they're also going to be doing a presentation at the NARPM Broker Owner, which is in April 2021. Go to NARPM.org to find more about that. They're going to be doing a virtual presentation for that conference, discussing these points in a joint presentation, PowerPoint presentation going, go big or go small. So I'm gonna go left to right in no particular order, Scott, so don't get offended. Todd, you're on my left. I'm gonna give you an intro, uh, time to introduce yourself. So how are you today? And please give us a few minutes of your time. Yeah, doing good. Thanks, uh, thanks Brad. I'm uh, Todd Orchard. I own uh, GTL Real Estate. Uh, we're down in uh, Georgia and Florida. And I also own uh, PM Assist, which is a consulting company that helps people uh, with uh, maximizing profitability. Awesome. Scott, go ahead. Uh, I'm Scott Brady from beautiful Blue, California. And um, so I own Progressive Property Management. We manage about, oh, about 1,100, 1,200 residential doors. And then Progressive Association Management, we manage right now about 600 um, association doors. And I also help people grow their company through add more doors or addmorehoas.com. And, um, and um, I'm excited to be here and talk about this because uh, it's something in the industry right now, a lot of people are talking about, a lot of noise about staying small. And, and, and so we want to explore both options. Yeah, so let's define the battle lines. So Scott, you're going to be taking the position of, you know, growing to scale, getting a little bit bigger, getting a business, you know, building it up. And then Todd, you're going to be taking a position of, you know, staying in a smaller realm. So first I want Todd, I want you to define what AKA small is in your definition for the listeners so they understand what you're talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, so I want to be clear on it that we're not talking, you know, owning a job. I'm not saying, you know, have, you know, 50 to 100 doors where you're a one-man operation doing everything yourself. That's that's not really what I'm arguing for. 
I think that's a bad idea, actually. What I'm arguing for is something a little bit more in between. So, you know, 200 to four or 500, you know, 500 is probably where you're starting to max out, where you're going to start having problems with, you know, you're hitting a plateau and your marketing costs are skyrocketing, your labor costs are difficult. So, you know, I'm arguing in that range, two to four or 500 doors at the max. Scott, go ahead with what your argument points are. Uh, my argument was I was at one point at four or 500 doors. And if you look at the NARPM guidebook or the, the industry look, it's only 8% of companies are over 600 doors. And that seems to be the dividing line is five or 600 doors. Um, and, and I decided to go bigger than that because I wanted multiple income streams. And I wanted association management and residential and real estate and now escrow and some other streams. And you only can do that if you're big. Um, so it, it seems to be the the line in the sand seems to be about 500 doors because over that, you are going to lose some profitability until you get to 1,000 or 1,500 or 3,000 doors. And if you look at the, once again, the studies, most companies, I think it's 40% of all companies want to grow, but who do they want to be? <laughs> Just growing to what? To how big? So we, that's what we want to talk about. Growth is fine, but what do you want to be when you grow up? Sure. Now no, let's I, talk about let's talk about my perspective, and we'll go from both of you guys because really, want to go next is kind of here. You know, if you were presenting this to uh, a crowd of people today with a PowerPoint presentation, kind of where would you start? So start thinking about that. Now, I will tell you from perspective of RentWorks in San Antonio, the property management company that I own, it is. You know, we were talking about this in the green room. It's been an S. You know, a staircase where you, you grow up, you, you plateau, you grow up a little bit more plateau. And I'll echo what you said, right at 500 doors, 500 homes under management, it started getting a little weird, a little tedious because you had more staff than you potentially needed, but you were poised for growth. So your profitability was minimal. Uh, you know, Now that we're getting to 900 plus doors, our profitability is actually pretty good. Uh, the business runs uh, very well. Uh, we have a really good leadership in charge with Melanie Thomas. And so she is running the business and allowing me to do other ventures and other entrepreneurial activities. So having said all that, uh, that's that's sort of my position, but I see merit on both sides, and which is why I wanted to bring both you guys on. So I'm going to go to Scott this time and say, Scott, you're standing in front of uh, a NARPM crowd, let's say, or a property management crowd. Give me your opening argument. Um, my opening argument, if you're doing, if you're in this industry just to make money, there are better, there are easier ways to make money. We're in a tough business. Uh, there are a lot of lawsuits, a lot of difficult people, crazies, just part and parcel of what we do. Um, I make money, and I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a for-profit company, but I do this because I think I, I built a better mousetrap, and I want to catch more mice. And and why would I say to other mice, you know, we're already full of this mousetrap, go find another one. Um, and if you're good at what you do, if you have the DNA of a small company, if you have the DNA of high profitability, great customer service great programs, you're protecting your owner's asset, then why would you stop at 500 doors? That seems arbitrary to me. Why not be at 5,000 doors? Um, if you take the DNA of a small company, but overlap that with the um, of, a, of a growth strategy. And I do believe most people, they just don't know how to get to 1,000 doors. They, they got to 500 and they're absolutely physically and mentally exhausted. And the idea of doubling that is just beyond the comprehension. And my argument would be, it gets easier to manage a thousand doors than managing five hundred doors because you're working on the business, not in the business. There's a period though, and Todd's right, at four or five hundred doors. I think you said, Brad, where you, you're just at the breaking point financially, emotionally, um, and then you've got to get through that. But when you do, it opens up even more revenue streams. For example, I do association management. A lot of people don't, 
but I couldn't have done that unless I was at 800 doors and I had the infrastructure and the staff and the resources to take that one on. Um, it, it, by growing it, it gives me more opportunities, not fewer. Yeah, so I'd actually kind of start in the same place where Scott started from there, which was know why you're doing whatever you're doing. So, I mean, that's really the start of this. You know, I, th I think it was Simon Sinek who said, you know, know your why. And that's really what you need to be getting at here. Why on earth, if you are growing, if that's your goal, why is that your goal? Because I think for so many people, you know, we go to conferences and you meet somebody who's a property manager. And the first question, how many doors do you manage? Why are we asking that question? What is the purpose of that? And I think for so many people, they're only growing because it's an ego thing. They just want to have that door count. And do you really have a reason that you want to grow those doors? I mean, is there some sort of why involved in that that's beyond just ego gratification? Because I can promise you, you know, you're not going to be happier just because you're managing more doors unless there's something more behind that. Now, if your why is I want to employ a bunch of people with great jobs or, you know, something to that effect then that makes sense. But I think for most people who are growing, that's not really the reason. They're just doing it because there's some sort of ego attachment to this door count number that it pervades, it's just pervasive in this industry. And I think that needs to go away and people need to actually figure out what their actual purpose is in growth if that's what they want to do. And if that is what you want to do, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, you know, know why you're going there. Yeah, a lot of the things that, that we were doing in the NARPM accounting standards when we worked to set that up with NARPM is I would we wanted to create like the, the three, four, five key metrics that everybody should kind of start to focus. I agree with you, Todd. I hate that. Hey, how many doors do you manage? It's it's a uh, ego measuring contest at that point. I would rather see everyone start asking the question, what's your profitability per door? What are you making yep. per door? What What's your profit per unit, your PPU? is in the NARPM accounting standards, that's what it's defined as. So if your profit per unit is, you know, 75, I mean, that's awesome. Per month, 75 bucks per month, you'd make profit. Or is it $7.50, right? Yeah. So you're in, you're in essence, just like a holding pin for listings that you hope will sell someday. So anyway, that's my interjection on those two. I think good points on both sides. So there's there's no right or wrong in this. I want to say that too, because uh, it really is to go back on Todd's point. It's you got to answer the why for yourself you know, what fits into your business model. And so let's maybe talk through this. So let's say somebody were, uh, what would be your next counterpoint then, Scott? So, you know, you guys talked about your initial stance. Go from there with what you would say. I feel like it's a presidential debate. I, I, I like to agree and disagree with Todd. So one, I will agree, you have to have your why. If your why is, boy, I just want to make a lot of money. Once again, I think there are easier ways to do it. Um, for example, our why is that we liberate Realtors from the real estate income roller coaster. We hire real estate agents. We teach them how to be property managers, and we take a split. So I feel like my my that's my why. It's not just to make money. I will disagree. I don't think I don't think it's ego a lot. I think growth is a lot about ignorance. I think there's a feeling that well, if I'm at hundred doors, two hundred would be twice as good. I mean, it's it's not ego. It's just really stupidity. There's not a lot of analysis going on of their business and their profitability. And, and once again, I, I don't want to disparage. I was there. I woke up two years ago and my bookkeeper said, hey, we're short $10,000 this month. I'm like, short what? <laughs> oh, cash? Oh, I didn't know that. And, um, you know, I just wasn't looking at the fundamentals. And all of a sudden you look around and you're like, you know, we pivoted hard to virtual assistants. Uh, we got lean. Uh, we implemented a lot of programs and fee, fee maximization. Um, I'm, a, I'm just not a fan. I'm a customer of, of Todd Orchite. Um and we did implement some of his stuff as well. So I think that, um, and, and I think we're having this talk here today and down the road is to just kind of remove a little bit of that ignorance. 
you know, there, there's, there's too much, just, it, it's just, just, just grow. I don't know why, but I'm just going to continue growing and that's fine. I, once again, I'm a big proponent of growth. And the, my second reason would be that if you're going to sell your business, and I guess we all sell eventually, <laughs> uh, we all sell our homes eventually, whether we like to or not. And, um, and, and if you're going to sell your business, people do look at your gross revenue. Uh, there are people out there, you're right now uh, part of a group helping people buy companies, and there's nothing wrong with uh, taking advantage of uh, another, per another company's avarice who's willing to pay you three times your gross revenue. Not even look at profit. They'll say, oh, your, gro your gross is $3 million? We'll give you $10 million. Bucks. Um, and, and that will happen. So I think by having a bigger company with bigger revenues, um, one of the advantages is you might get a higher price when you go down to sell, sell it down the road. That's very significant what you said there, because I do firmly believe in that. Uh, you have the capital value, capital asset there. That's going to be a big payday at the end of this. You know, I look at it in transition. You look at, you know, when I was a real estate agent, uh, you get done selling real estate, you know, and you do 50 transactions a year, 150 transactions a year. When you get done after being a real estate agent, you got zero. You got zero assets to sell versus if you're a real estate broker, property manager, and you build a property management company, 200, 500 doors, 5,000 doors, you have an asset that can sell. And that's an interesting concept too. With our with our property manager broker uh, faction, we have started a new podcast. We're talking just uh, distinctly just about that. Uh, the one of the things I want to mention is everyone's going to be buying and selling at some point. Everyone is going to be buying and selling a property management. There's no way you can convince me otherwise. Todd, if somebody walked up to you today and said, "Hey, I have 100 doors in Atlanta. I want to sell it to you," you would be like, your ears would perk up and you would say, "Yeah, let's talk turkey." Right? Everyone's interested in selling, and that's how a lot of times I think it's going to happen. If someone's going to nudge you, uh, you know, in your local market and say, "Hey, I'm ready to exit. Do you want to buy? Let's talk turkey." Or you might be the opposite. You might be the person that says, "Okay, I'm going to build this thing to 200 homes, 2,000 homes, 10 million homes. Then I'm going to sell it." That could be your ultimate plan. But Todd, you know, there's a lot of value in that. And I think also uh, your merit of cash flow now uh, with that capital value of that 200 to 500 range makes still a lot of sense. But it's also very manageable and not a lot of exposure. I mean, there's some key points there I want you to bring up. Go ahead. Yeah. So, I, you know, let's talk about the, the, you know, exit strategy idea. So, you know, the idea that you're going to get a lot of money out of selling your company because you have a lot of revenue is not necessarily true. Now, it's, it can be helpful, but if you have a low profit margin, you know, if, if somebody has a 250-door company and they're running a 50% margin, that is a more, that is a more valuable operation to purchase than a company with a thousand doors that's running a four percent margin. So you know it, it, what matters here. Most most people when they purchase property management companies, they're looking at multiples of EBITDA. And I know that's a boring accounting term, but you know that's we're basically talking profit here is what we're looking at. You know, if I may correct you on that, if I may correct you, and I'll, I'll turn it back over to you. EBITDA, in my opinion, doesn't really have a place in the property management companies because we don't really have amortization. So what we've been learning to call it is net operating income which is kind of like your bottom line profit. So I'm sorry to be a nerd on the term there. You know, again, the NARPA accounting standards has evaded me, but you know, a lot of businesses carry some sort of debt amortization schedule. We really don't property management. Luckily, we're, a lot of us are debt free to where even if you have debt, it's minimal. You know, it's not like we had to go buy 400 trucks to service an oil field. You know what I mean? It's a, we are a very small and lean business like that. So Todd, sorry to interrupt, please keep going. Hopefully you didn't. Well, I some, I would say, are very debt-free. I wouldn't say that all. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, whether you're looking at it from net earnings or you're looking at it from even dollar, whatever you want to look at, what, what you're looking at is how much cash is this going to throw off to me? You know, at the end of the day, what is this going to put in my pocket once I acquire this? And if you're running a low-profit, big company, 
that is not as valuable as a high profit smaller company. So, you know, at the end of the day, what you're looking to do if you grow is to make sure you maintain profitability at least to a reasonable amount. And most people aren't doing that. That's the problem. As they grow, margins in this business shrink for the most part. So what Scott was talking about there, knowing your numbers is important because a lot of people, what they're doing is they're putting growth as their number one priority. And then they just dump everything into growth. That's what they focus on. They go off, they hire BDMs, they put tens of thousands of dollars into marketing, and they just grow, 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 grow. And you know, there's industry gurus out there telling people that they have to grow. And it's just this nonstop growth paradigm. And the problem is the person that's being told to grow doesn't even know what their profit per unit is. They don't know what their revenue per unit is. They don't know what their direct labor efficiency is. They don't know any of this stuff and they're trying to grow. And I would say, first, you got to get all that stuff right. And then after you get that right, and then you still want to grow, that's fine. But get the basics down first and know your numbers before you do that. Totally agree with you. And the growth model often stems from people are telling you to grow, to grow, to grow, because it's a battle of attrition. Uh, if you're losing 10% annual con- of, of uh, uh, owner agreements per year, you need to at least be growing 10% per year just to maintain that 200 to 500 door level. So I want you to spend a few minutes, Todd, on talking about some of the techniques that you, you've mentioned before on staying lean, becoming profitable, becoming really good at what you do to where that business can run itself and be very profitable. Give us a few minutes on that. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing I would say is just go to back to what you, you just said there about, um, you know, making sure that, and now I've lost my train of thought. You just said a great point there. And I wanted the to- The battle uh, of attrition, right? The battle of attrition. Yes, attrition. Sure that that's what it was. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of attrition problems are the fact that people don't have their business dialed down. You know, the reason they're losing so many doors is because they don't have the processes down. They don't know their numbers. They're not tracking things. They have no KPIs. If you imagine how much more valuable it is to keep a door rather than to replace a lost door. You know, if I have to, you know, add two doors for every door that I lose, I'm much better off just to keep that one door I had because I don't have to spend any money to acquire anything. So, you know, you're much better off. And Jordan Whaler talks about this all the time is, you know, retaining doors is more valuable than adding doors. So, you know, if you can focus on that, that is everything. And that all comes down to your processes, your procedures making sure that you have enough people to take care of all this. And that's, you know, going to your question there about what are some of the things you can do to make this work? First thing I would say is automation and outsourcing. You know, that is a big key to running a highly profitable company. And when you do that, I can have three VAs for one employee in the United States. And what does that mean for your customer? It means when they make a phone call or send an email to your company, they get a response much quicker. And that means your attrition goes down. So you hang on to your clients longer because they're happier. It means your tenants renew their leases for longer. So you don't have so many vacancies that you have to deal with. So, you know, it's efficiencies, processes and procedures, you know, that kind of stuff you have time to focus on. If you're not spending all your time saying, oh, I need to grow. I need to make sure that I'm adding doors. I need to spend all my time on marketing and, and, you know, content marketing and all that. If, if, If you're spending all your time on that, you can't focus on the other stuff to keep your current clients. No, I totally agree with you that. Now, Scott, I'm going to give it over to you. I got a couple questions for you. So we were kind of in agreement on the, in the green room that one of the biggest things that have happened to the property management industry as a whole in the last three, four, five years has been the remote team member concept of hiring and working with somebody remote to where the cost you're paying that employee is significantly less than what you would pay an in-person employee wherever your market center is. Uh, that's been significantly profitable. And just like you said, it's dang near three to one, if not four to one, 
or what you can, what the expense is. And so when you wrap your head around that, all of us use remote team members here. Uh, you know, Scott does, Todd does, we do a, a, a quite a bit. I think we have uh, 11 remote team members that work with us. They're all in Mexico and they've done great for us. And so that's one of the things we highly recommend to ensure that you're being profitable is looking at ways to create procedures around remote team members to lower your overhead. There really is an opportunity there for maximizing your profits by lowering your overhead, but also creating a, a process of continuity. Okay, hear me out, like on this one. Uh, instead of one person answering your phone here in the States, you hope they show up, right? You could have two or three people answering your phones and remote team members somewhere else. Now, I know, Todd, we can debate about answering phones at all, right? That's a whole nother fun topic, right? Because, you know, there's some, there's some merit in like never answering the phone, right? I get that. We can discuss that later on. But, you know, Scott, I wanted to turn it over to you to another good question. Uh, what were some of your considerations in hearing some of that from Todd? I mean, I only agree on some of those points, but there's got to be other stuff you want to add. Go ahead. Yeah, let's talk about staff. When I was about 300 or 400 doors, I had, you know, two property managers. And if I lost a property manager, owners would get upset. They, they get attached to the property manager. And um, what I found is by growing, um, so we have a, a lovely little uh, hamburger place out here called In-N-Out. And at In-N-Out, you start the fry station making 15 bucks an hour. But if you do well chopping the fries, you move to the burger station, then you move to the front uh, area. And then eventually you could become a, a, a store manager making six figures, making a hundred thousand bucks plus. Um, because they're growing is how they can do that. There's more opportunity. If you're static and you're managing 400 doors with two or three property managers, you know, you have that turnover because there's no growth for them. Their revenue is not going up. They get kind of stuck. And there's only so many free lunches you can do before they take off and get a better career opportunity. So by growing, you allow the person who starts as a system property manager, become a property manager, become a regional manager, become a, a community manager, whatever it might be. And I think a lot of frustration when we're small, even with VAs, they're still not property managers. Um, we were talking earlier, there's a, a business model I know where uh, he has one property manager that he's paying a lot of money to, I think $8,000 a month. And that property manager has four VAs and they manage 800 doors. If that property manager leaves, he's up the creek without a paddle. You know, that's it. Uh, those, he can't, VAs cannot do real estate work in California. So, um, you know, you got to be careful about your stuff because I don't care how many VAs you have, ultimately you've got some boots on the ground managing your owner's expectations. And if you're static, um, you, you know, I was, when I was small, and let's say back to even the, when I was 100 doors, you know, I was so dependent on one staff member, you know, one, you know, one owner. Um, and when you're bigger, there's just, there's an opportunity to have more staff, more redundancy, go departmental, like you're talking about, having more VAs so that if one staff member walks out the door, I'm okay. I got a second staff member to take that, that workload. Um, and I think it, when you're small, there's a lot of, in particular, you're really small, you're doing everything, you're wearing all the hats, but certainly at 300 doors, you're dependent upon staff, not just VAs, staff. So a lot of this is going to be uh, the audience you're talking to and kind of where they are in their management career, because I always think of the how, okay, Scott, how do I grow to, to where you are? You know, Todd, even how do I grow to where it's a company that's, you know, 300 doors, that's very lean, but very profitable and gives me a lifestyle that I want. Uh, you know, that, the how is going to be the challenge. If you are looking to enhance your tenant's movement experience, cut down on phone calls or emails to you or your staff regarding utilities, then you must connect yourself, your team, and your tenants with Citizen Home Solutions. Citizen Home Solutions takes the hassle of utilities off your hands and your tenants. Best of all, we do it for free. 
build us into your tenant benefit package. Oh, and start benefiting from our revenue share program. Yes, we pay you a quarterly commission on specific services your tenant opts into. Want to know more? Give us a call today at 877-528-3824 or visit pmcpartner.com. So anything in your presentations that you would consider talking about uh, to maybe talk through some of those things? I mean, we're talking conceptual, well, do this, do this, do this, right? These 10 things that you should always do. But then you always ask the question, well, how do I do that, right? So go ahead. Who's going to fire the first shot on this one? Well, I'll start. This is, we always get that question, right? You know, you're a thousand doors. How'd you do that? Well, one is I had a business plan. I actually had a plan. I stuck to it. I, I spent a lot of marketing dollars. But more importantly, I had a target client, the person who manages my owner in Southern California. I try to have really compelling pricing. Um, and then we, 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 had, we had a great brand. We built a great brand with a great website <laughs> that attracts those, uh, those, those mice. Um, and you just committed to it. And the, the thing is, you've got to have great customer service. Uh, we'll go to conferences. And I know Todd probably hears this. And they'll say, oh, I get really terrible reviews. What can I do about that? Provide better customer service is what you can do. You can make it part of your DNA and compensate people for doing that. And pay good people good money to do that. Um, so there's ways to grow. I mean, it's, it's, it's really about having a target market with effective pricing. And one thing I would say, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give some uh, kudos to Todd on this. So I'm going to implement, um, I never had a, a uh, accounting fee. This never, never charged it. So we just sent out a modification letter to uh, you know, 1,200 owners that, hey, in January, you're going to get hit with a $25 fee, whatever, 45, whatever you call it. Well, for me, that's now $25,000. Um, because I have that many doors. If I had 50 doors, it'd be a lot less money. So one of the nice things about once you have the doors and they have trust and they like your service and love a customer service and your pricing, you can implement programs and fees that generate a lot more revenue just because you have more doors to implement. So I like that too. So we call that a tax preparation fee at RentWorks. Uh, same concept in January. Uh, we've been doing that for three, four, five years now. And the way to justify this up one thing, I mean, we love talking fees, right, Todd? We can talk fees all day long. Oh, yeah. But the way you justify that one fee, tax preparation fee, is because taxpayer identification number verifications are expensive, 1099 forms are expensive, 1099 online forms are expensive, accounting to get to that point is expensive, all the above costs money. And then when you get hit by the IRS with a, I think it's a form 1098, which says, you didn't do this, this, and this, and this correctly. You have to hire a CPA and an attorney to go fight it with the, with the IRS. So we get hit with that every year. And we've had as many as 100 down to this year. I think we had eight. And so we've used those funds to increase our accounting. And so it's not just a BS fee. I don't want anybody to think that it is. It's a legitimate fee that does help us keep very good tabs of the business to keep all the owners healthy. So Todd, what I want you to talk about now is... Uh, let's forget about the growth. Put growth aside in your mind. I don't want to talk about it with your side, but let's talk about how does somebody get to that point where they are lean and mean. They have they were gifted 300 homes from their from their father and mother, and so they have those 300 homes and they're just managing them at this point. They think they're comfortable. They they might sell one, they might gain one, you know that type of thing. To where the growth is is not really there, but they're they're a really good plateau of just like steady, consistent business which is a good place to be, right? If you can get referrals for 12 new doors a year and you only lose 12 doors a year, that's a pretty good system. So let's talk about through some of the how for getting all the growth techniques to talk about the how you get lean and mean and get that business to where you really want it. 
Yeah. So what you got to focus on is getting yourself out of the business. That's what the focus has to be on. You have to be out of the daily operation of the business so that you're able to focus on how to improve the efficiencies. So the only way you can do that is little bit by little bit at the start, because you are completely in the business when you're at 100, 200 doors, you know, you are involved in all that and you have to slowly work your way out. So the way to do that is, you know, I use EOS, you know, it's something that I really, you know, tell people that they should, they should start with at least, you know, maybe it's not for everybody, but I think it works really well, at least in this business. And what that teaches you is number one, how to set up your processes. You have to have all of your key processes written down so that someday, if it's not right now, but someday you can hand that off to somebody else. So that's one less thing that you have to do. So then you can go and focus on profitability or revenue or whatever the case may be. So that you're not just working on that day-to-day stuff. It'll also tell you to focus on your five-year plan. Scott talked about a business plan. You have to, if you want to grow, you have to have a business plan. But at the same time, if you don't want to grow, you still need to have a business plan. You need to know what your idea is. What am I going to do three years, 10 years down the line? What do I picture this being? And that'll give you a roadmap. You know? So I would say use EOS um, and start out mapping out your processes and procedures, because that is what's going to allow you to get your VAs to start doing your work. It's going to allow you to start automating things. And once you're able to do that, then you can focus on fee maximization, new services and programs like Scott's talking about. You know. You can't, you can't get to that unless you have your processes and procedures down. Another great how, and I hope everybody listens to this, prepare to sell your business right now for an exit in 12 months, 24 months, 24 centuries, okay? Whenever that exit is going to be for you, prepare right now. And I think a good mental drill would be like, hey, I'm going to prepare my business to sell 12 months from today. What do I want to do? One, you're going to want a Femax, just like Todd is talking. And two, you're going to want to potentially implement some sort of EOS procedure where everything is just running smooth in your business. And then you can build the growth. If you want to build the gross revenue, you can build that. You can build the net operating income. That's going to put you in a very good position. You can implement the NARPM accounting standards, but definitely go back to one sentence and just say, prepare to sell today, 12 months from now, 24 months from now. That might be all you really need. You hone in on that and maybe the CRMC checklist from NARPM, which is a certified residential management company, you go through that checklist as a, as a guide to how to build a company. So we're trying to do everybody a favor here. We're trying to answer the how, right? We're talking about why, we're talking about what it is, but how do we do that? I think those, those are very good points. EUS, prepare to sell your business now and then implement CRMC checklists. If not, go get the designation itself, which I totally believe in. Scott, go ahead. Yeah. And- here, here are the mental gymnastics I, I do every day is I try to monetize everyone we meet. I just don't want to make money on the owner. I want to make money on the tenant, on the realtor, associations, maintenance, uh, our tenants now. Um, we were discussing earlier where all our lease uh, leads go to a VA. And then we say, aren't you tired of renting? Maybe you should buy. Scrape them over to our banker, get some pre-approved and send them back to the realtors. Then we get a referral fee. Everything we do, we say, how can we squeeze another buck out of this person, whoever that person might be, in a fair way that makes sense for both parties? If you're just nickel and diming, nickel and diming, you won't grow or you'll get a bad reputation. But you know, I learned that from the association management side is that here's our base management fee. If I pick up this piece of paper and put it on this side of the desk, I'm going to charge you $1. Everything has a fee attached to it in HOA because your, your base management fee doesn't cover your cost. It covers the cost of doing their meetings, doing their financials doing the monthly walk around and, and we can learn from association management um, and you monetize everyone you meet. And if you do that, even if you're managing 400 doors, but you have that, you have that 
philosophy, you know, how can I somehow leverage this relationship, you know, to, to, to make more money? That's what you have to do, I think, mentally. Yeah. So uh, let me jump in here real quick, Brad, because I just I, I want to eliminate the phrase nickel and diming from the industry. I want people to stop using that. Uh, no offense, but you know it is it is a bad mentality because the reality is charging fees and making money is good for everybody involved. It's good for the tenant. It's good for you. And it, what it allows you to do is provide a better product and service. That's what you know. I provide a better product for my owner because I have all that revenue. Because that means I'm able to have a 24-7 maintenance hotline. I'm able to have all this technology where they're able to get a lot better service than they can get from the mom and pop property manager down the street who charges nothing but a management fee at 100 doors. And they're always on that ragged edge of profitability and going out of business. They can't provide a decent service. I can because I've got all that money that's coming in. So there's nothing bad about making money just to make money. I hear some people talk about, well, you should only charge a fee if you're providing a value-added service. And my answer to that is, what value-added service is the bank providing when they charge you a monthly fee on your account? What value-added service is the hotel providing you when they charge you a resort fee and you're getting absolutely nothing? Because a lot of these places that charge resort fees have nothing at all you're getting extra for it that they didn't provide before they started charging that fee. So the idea that you have to be providing something new when you charge a fee, let's get rid of that idea. You know, the, the purpose of profitability is to provide a great service, and that is good for everybody. And, and our, industry, sorry, sorry, our industry is really transparent, meaning that when I go to a hotel, it's when I check out when I realize I just got screwed. You know, then I see the 82 fee. I'm like, what? Um, our business, at least I'm California now, any, we, we, there's no such thing as a secret profit. Every dollar we charge to a tenant to an owner is shown up on the monthly statement. It's in their contract, it's in the lease agreement, and it's on our monthly statement. We do not make a secret profit in this industry. Um, so we should never be embarrassed by the fees we're charging. Uh, I, I do believe it, it, in some places, not nickel and diming, uh, you know, the program's not, not connected to a, 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 a value. And you can't just charge a program and, and, and there's you know, the old uh, convenience fee. Convenient for whom? I mean, it's, you know, you know that it's inconvenient having that fee. But I think otherwise, any fee you charge is connected to a, 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 anything you do, you should be compensated. Well, let's talk through this because uh, you mentioned something, Todd, too. It's a mentality. It's a mental state when you look to implement any sort of new program, like Scott mentioned earlier with the tax preparation fee. And I give credit to Darren Hunter on a lot of this stuff. Darren Hunter is an Australian gentleman uh, that teaches a lot of the fee maximization because in Australia, they can't charge hardly anything. It is, it is a very difficult uh, climate there to charge any sort of tenant fee or any sort of like abstract, weird owner fee. They just really can't charge a lot of fees that we can't hear in most of the states. So it comes down to a mentality because that's what Scott and Todd, you hear this all the time. Oh, I can't charge that fee. You know, I can't. I just can't do it in this market. And, you know, Todd, you, you shake your head and you're like, of course you can if you get your head around the right mentality because you owe it to your business, you owe it to your clients, you owe it to your tenants, you owe it to your, your employees to run at a profitability level that you need to be at to well compensate your, your team and make sure that they're not going anywhere to create a very good service, which is ultimately the end result is a very good service. So the mentality thing is key. Now, all right, gents, just to drop a little thing I wanted to talk about too, is uh, Todd has a fee program in case nobody knew about it. Uh, you can find it on the Property Management Mastermind website. Uh, he has a website, he'll, he'll probably drop in the, the show notes as well as we get going. But I highly recommend somebody to go look at that and purchase it because it's going to give you an outline of fees. 
and talk you through some of the mentality that you probably need to get your head around in charging a new fee to an owner and or tenant and or even vendor. I love the vendor fees too. We can talk about it all, all day long. Now to just talk about one more thing about uh, fees and, and not meant to be like a total topic of it, but you tripped my trigger, Todd. You mentioned a resort fee, which thought me started me thinking about Vegas, right? So the Property Management Mastermind Conference went off in March of 2020. By the skin of our teeth, we got out of there right before the COVID shutdown uh, out of Las Vegas. And we're planning on the conference going to be moved from March to roughly May of 2021. We're hoping to do it in Vegas. It really depends on what kind of craziness is going on in the world. I'm hoping we get it into the summer months that the, the rebound and the second rebound and the fifth rebound of this whole COVID thing is kind of over. So we're planning for May of 2021 right now in Las Vegas. And it really is to be determined on which venue there, uh, depending on the craziness that's going on. So that's kind of what's going on with the Property Management Mastermind Conference. But we are going to do an in-person conference, period, or we're just going to not do it. Okay. I'm not going to do a virtual conference. I, I like the virtual conference stuff. Okay. I don't want to mean, don't want to talk anything bad about that, but we're just not going to do that. We're going to be the differentiator and we're going to run an in-person conference that everybody wants to go to. Cause I think we're all going to be like Jones in for some actual drinks at a bar and like some, you know, handshakes here and there and, and talking to people face to face. I think we're all going to be Jones for that. Now back to the original discussion we were having, uh, the stay small, go big. Scott, did you have any other things you want to add just to kind of talk through this? I, I want, I want, Todd to talk about capital allocation. It was an interesting point he makes in the article, and I, I want him to talk about it, and then I'll, I'll, I'll address him about it. Yeah, so capital allocation is basically just, you know, where is the best place to put your money? I mean, that's that's the, the best way to put, you know, what capital allocation is. And, you know, when you look at someone, you know, like Warren Buffett, you know, he has made all of his money because he knows where to put money. That's all, he has never really done anything other than that. From the very beginning of his career, all he has done is put money in the right spot where it grew the most. So property managers have a horrible time with this. You know, the average property manager throws money at things that just do not produce a return for them. A perfect example of this is pay-per-click. I see people just dump unbelievably massive amounts of money into Google ads or, you know, pay-per-lead services or whatever. And they aren't even tracking to see what kind of return do I get on this. A lot of people will say, oh, well, I spent $300 on a lead, but I get $5,000 in total revenue from this owner once I sign him up. It doesn't matter what you get in total revenue. That's not what goes into your pocket. What matters is the profit you're going to get off of that. So how much money do you spend to acquire an owner? And then how much profit do you get from that? And then figure out, is that the highest possible return on my money? Or could my money be better spent buying a house and, and having a, a rental property myself? Or could it be better spent buying stocks. You know, we should actually be thinking about capital allocation and where it's going to get the best return on our money instead of just saying, I got to grow my company. So I'm just going to go buy a bunch of Google ads. Yeah, that's a good point. Sean Morrissey and I did a podcast yesterday with Phil Mazur about the property manager broker. And Sean was talking about his exit from his property manager portfolio in Chicago. And he took that and bought two apartment complexes. So it was a really neat kind of a conversation where he did exactly what you're talking about, reallocated some capital and put it into use on cash flow through those apartments. He raised the rent, did a bunch of cool stuff. He made some great improvements and turned that into a really solid business. So, you know, to your point, Todd, you know, maybe people just need to potentially look at selling. Like if they're, they're not making money and they suck at what they do, you know, maybe you should consider selling your business, taking whatever you potentially can take out of that and put that into something that's going to make you more money than what you're doing now. Because if you're not running a profit, 
Stop wasting your time. Phil Mazur and I had a conversation about this yesterday. We're both pulling, you know, I proverbially I'm pulling my hair out, right? About people not running at a profitability level of anything, you know, 2%, 4%. Like, what are you doing? Can't you do better yeah. things with your time? Scott said it a minute ago. There's better ways to make money. Keep going. No, I, so I don't think anybody's mentioned it today, but the average profit of a property management company is 6%. That is the average profitability. So I want you to go out and look at what you can get from an investment. If you were to buy, say, a index fund in the S&P 500, you'll get an 8% return on your money. So you are, if you're running a property management company at a 6% margin and you're dumping more money in to try to grow that, you're losing 2%. On every single dollar you put into that, if you're running at a 6% margin. So you have to, it doesn't matter whether you want to grow or whether you want to stay small, you got to get that margin up to where it actually makes sense for you to spend your time working on this. Because if you, all you're going to get is a 6% return on your money, you might as well just sit at home and put all of your money into the stock market in an index fund because a 6% margin is, isn't worth getting out of bed in the morning for. Plan your exit in two years, plan your exit in two years, and then go yeah. from there. Because if you can say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell this puppy in two years, what do I need to make that max value? That's where you should plan on. You go to Todd, you, you go to his program, you maximize some fees, you take the Scott Brady growth mentality, you want to get bigger a little bit as much as you can scale, uh, and then get ready for two years to sell it. Take that mentality, adopt that as your how, and I think there's going to kind of be the crux of both discussion points is getting to that point. Scott, what do you think? Two points. One is Todd's argument, it, it, it assumes you have capital. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people get in this business to generate capital, subscription income. So, um, and that's one. So if you have capital, you know, yeah, you want to get a good return. You, hopefully your property management business is creating capital. And uh, my best money spent is on my company. My, um, my growth rate is running, you know, 20% a year. I, I, I wouldn't put, I still put money in stock market, but it's my best investments, my company. Here's the biggest point. I, it, it just hit me. There are no excuses anymore as a property management company owner. Meaning when I got in this business 10 years ago or 2012, um, it, it, was a, it was a lost wilderness. I didn't know about NARPM. There were none of these companies. There were no VAs. And it was easy to screw up. Um, it was it's sort of like you learned by the school of hard knocks. There are no excuses anymore. There are all these companies out there catering to our industry to help you create a profitable property management business. You didn't have PM Com. You didn't have BizDev. You didn't have PM Assist. You didn't have Rentscale. You didn't have all, all these companies. And they're all there. Yes, you might have to open your pocketbook and pay some money for their expertise, or you can just go under. You can learn, you know, you can just have your company get you know, driven into the, the, the hard rocks. And you don't have to. There's so many great companies out there, consultants to help you wade through this decision-making to stay small and get super profitable or go big and create multiple revenue streams because that's your vision. But um, to sit back and just twiddle your thumbs is really no longer feasible or necessary. Yeah. And we, we were talking about this, you know, just today with Phil Mazur and I, again, I'm repeating myself, but if you suck so bad at what you do, you're not running a profit, maybe you should sell, you know, mm -hmm. consider selling, take the chips off the table, go do something else, start over. Right. Maybe you, you, you can't get around the mentality of, well, I just, I, you know, great example is uh, Amy Carnes, who I'm going to do a podcast with uh, on the property manager broker side. I'm going to do it in a couple of three weeks with her. And she sold her business in San Antonio. We're going to talk about that. And then she went to Dallas and started another property management company. Maybe people that are running a really crappy business with no profit, why don't you consider doing that? 
selling and then moving or starting over because you can get out of your non-compete area and go to a new area and start over, right? I mean, build it from scratch the right way because a lot of folks say, oh, I can't do that to my owners. I love my owners. I can't do that to my tenants. I'm so worried they're going to come yell at me. Okay, well, we'll get out of that altogether and, and do something different. And, All right, what, gentlemen. And what percent of property management companies live month to month? Meaning they, they take in revenue, they spend the revenue, and it's the next month. I mean, what other industry is that a fee, really possible? You, you should have, we, you and I both know, particularly as you get bigger, there are more lawsuits, there's theft, there's issues, there's, you know, you, you become a big target. I believe you should have at least three months revenue sitting in the bank. So if you're, if you're, you're generating 150K in monthly revenue, you should have, I would say, almost a half a million dollars sitting in the bank for opportunities, but also for the risk. Cash is king in this industry. You've got to have resources. We have, we, I'm in two lawsuits right now, frivolous, and I had to pay my deductibles, for example. So, and that should be one of your goals through this profitability is to get some resources for both opportunities, but also um, to, to, for defense. Totally no, I would just say, uh, you know, another option from just selling because you're not good at this is bring in somebody who can help you with it. You know, hire a consultant, you know, bring in, you know, BizDev or bring in me or Deb Newell or whoever it might be. There's like Scott said, there are tons of people in this industry now who can help you with this, which didn't used to be the case. And if you aren't good at it, if you've got a 6% margin and you don't know how to get to the 30% margin or you don't know how to grow, I promise you there's somebody who does know how to do that. And if you bring them in, they can take care of that for you and they can show you how to pull yourself out of the day-to-day -day operations so that you can actually do this going forward. Honestly, that's the biggest problem most people have. They can't fix the 6% margin problem or they can't fix the attrition problem because their entire day is putting out fires because they are the operations of their company. So you know, how do you fix your profitability problem when all you do all day is take tenant and owner phone calls? Well, you can't. So bring in the consultant, they'll fix that problem for you and then you can actually get somewhere. And then maybe you can sell your company still if that's what you want to do, but you'll be able to sell it for a lot more money. Uh, you know, so, I mean, there's, you don't necessarily just have to bail out because you suck. Um, lots of people do suck. I'm not going to dispute that, but you know, there are ways to fix that. Uh, you know, let's, let's look at how big this industry is. This industry is enormous. It's a lot bigger than you think it is. We go to these conferences and we see you know, there's 600 people maybe at Broker Owner there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of property managers across this country who are running crappy businesses, producing 5% margins. It's just, you know, they manage 150 doors or whatever it is. You know, those businesses are everywhere. And, you know, it's just those people need to look at what they're doing and figure out, do I want to bail out of this? Like Brad says, you know, just sell it and get out or should I fix it? And I, you know, I would encourage you to try to fix it, but you're not going to be able to do that yourself. And, and, and you may suck at one thing. The thing about this industry is I love, I, I, I'm still a real estate broker. You just have to be good at working with buyers and sellers. That's it. Property management, we get a lot of hats to wear. Operations, marketing, sales, staff, um, you know, accounting. You may suck at one thing, accounting. You may suck at operations. You may suck at marketing or sales or profitability. Then correct the problem. Because you might be really good at all the other stuff, but that one thing you're bad at is dragging your entire company down. Um, and if you correct that problem, it's amazing how if you really figure it all out, that the wheel starts spinning, it really becomes easy to grow and to get profitable and have happy staff and grow a real profitable business. But you may be bad at one thing. Fix it. Gents, great discussion today. Appreciate your time. For further information about this, you can go to the website, propertymanagementmastermind.com. Well, Todd's information is on there. Scott's information is on there about their products, their offerings. 
definitely check that out. Look forward to seeing you guys potentially the next conference. And this has been a great discussion. So on behalf of Scott Brady and Todd Orchide, I'm Brad Larson signing off and we'll see you guys next episode. Thank you. Thanks. Need to repair at 2 a.m.? Easy does it. Easy Repair coordinates maintenance and nothing else and takes after-hour maintenance calls for property managers, working with your property management software so you can see exactly what Easy is doing without leaving your own software. From Las Vegas, Nevada, our full-time maintenance coordinators will dispatch your work orders with vendors from our growing repair vendor network where available, or we'll use your vendors. Give us a call at 800-488-6032 or visit our website www.ezrepairhotlinellc.com This has been a podcast episode by propertymanagementproductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.